0: One of my little statements, and I think it's applicable beyond my personal situation, but security is not the absence of danger. It's the presence of God. And I had to learn nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, not life, not death.
1: Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard. Very glad you could join us for this conversation as we talk with today's guest, Philip DeCourcy. Just before I introduce Philip, let me introduce you to our website, which has additional links and information as well as an archive of our young program thus far. You'll find us online at firstpersoninterview.com. There you'll also be able to view the calendar of past and future guests and topics. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. I've heard it said that he preaches well that lives well. And when you think about it, our lives are a sermon to those around us. Well, Philip DeCourcy preaches both with his life and in the pulpit of a church in Southern California. He's also the host of the Know the Truth radio program, just getting established around the country. And I serve as the announcer for Know the Truth and have grown to really appreciate the way this man proclaims the word. Philip grew up in troubled Northern Ireland. For several years, he was a part-time reserve police officer in the Royal Ulster Constabulary, which put him and his family in some danger, as you'll hear. Then God called him to the pastorate and eventually to an American pulpit. I met Philip indirectly as we began working together on his radio program, but not personally until I made a trip to California and visited the site of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills. This growing church is right on a main freeway in populous Orange County, a long way from Ireland. On that trip, Philip and I sat down in the studios of KKLA in Los Angeles for a conversation about his life and ministry, starting with the family he grew up in.
0: My mom and dad are a gift from God. Uh, They are... uh working-class people in the city of Belfast. Uh, They live outside the city in a place called Newton Abbey. And uh, they have uh, just given the greatest thing a mother and father can give to their children. Um, uh, Beyond wealth and a good education and loving environment, they give us uh, a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, my dad's an inspiration to me. He's a working man. He's worked in a factory uh, most of his life. He's lived a, a solid and a simple life, but he's been faithful. In fact, I was back in Northern Ireland just a while ago, driving home late at night, and I saw the silhouette of a man at 10 o'clock at night. It was my dad coming up from the midweek study at Rothkill Baptist Church. He's been a deacon in that church for over 40 years. And I go, that's faithfulness. And I'm not sure we count faithfulness as, as such a great thing today, as, as we should. He's been faithful to one church his whole life, faithful to one woman his whole life, faithful to his children. He's not a perfect man, and uh, I didn't have a, a you know a perfect mum or dad, but they loved us in the Lord, and I've sought to be that to my children. Teach them tradition, teach them commitment, um, put the church before anything else. Uh, we never miss church, and and that could be perceived by some people as legalistic or or empty tradition. I don't think it was for our family. I think my my dad understood that Jesus Christ died to form a body of people called the church. And you can't love Christ without loving the church. And you wouldn't move him. In fact, even when I'm back, you won't believe this, when I'm back in Northern Ireland preaching, he doesn't come to hear me. If I'm not preaching at Rathcool, he's at Rathcool. <laughs> Can you imagine that? He doesn't come to hear his own son because he has to be at his own church with his people. And, and so, you know, um, I remember coming across a, a statement by Barbara Bush who said, really, the most important thing is not what happens in the White House, but what happens in your house. And so I challenge our listeners, you know, to, to, to uh, give the best of their time and their love and their commitments to their children, because they are our lasting legacy. Whatever impact I have for Jesus Christ, I won't die a happy man if I don't die in the knowledge that my girls are living for Jesus Christ and their husbands love the Lord and they're seeking to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. But when did the turn happen? When did faith in Christ become your own? Well, as I said, I knew the gospel. uh, From like Timothy, from a child, I knew the scriptures that could make me wise unto salvation, but in my stubbornness, in my blindness, in my deadness, uh, lived my life without God until the age of 16, until God wrestled me to the ground. And uh, there were times I knew I needed to make that decision, but but didn't feel compelled to to, to make that, that step. And remember being under conviction, actually literally sweating in my bed at the <laughs> thought of the judgment of God, but I loved my sin <laughs> too much, and God had to do a little bit more arm-twisting. That came in uh, 1978. On the twentieth of January, uh, went to a, a youth rally through our church and heard our youth leaders speak on Matthew twenty-four forty-four. In such an hour as you think not the Son of Man is coming. And here's where that hit me between the eyes, uh, Wayne. I'm like putting it off, okay? I'm trying to run from Christ. But that verse gave me the sense that he was chasing me down, (laughs) and you can't outrun uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God in his mercy uh, opened my heart, opened my mind, and I simply put my faith in Jesus Christ, and that was the turning point of my life, and um, I'm so glad for that night. But you weren't called to
1: preach. At that time, you, you moved into another arena of life, didn't you?
0: I did. Um, I got involved in our church. Every Christian's a minister. Every Christian must uh, discover what God wants them to do in the life of a local church. So I got involved in teaching Sunday school and uh, doing some door to door witnessing and open air preaching and stuff like that. But no, when I left school, I left school at 16. Uh, didn't immediately go into higher education. Got a really good job in an aircraft uh, a company in Belfast called Shorts. Did an apprenticeship in aircraft engineering for four years and worked in that company for eight
1: years. Well, we've talked about the fact that you were a police officer, but I didn't know about the aircraft
0: part. Of I know uh, that's a little bit under the radar screen, but it, it really is, is. No pun uh, intended. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> but I spent eight years. I loved it. In fact, so thought you know, I'm gonna I'll be one of those guys someday. I'll get the gold watch and <laughs> and disappear off into the horizon. But Uh also during that time, because of the terrorism in Northern Ireland, the civil conflict, I did feel uh, a duty to serve my country. And so Mm -hmm. while I was an engineer by day, after I left school from about, uh, I was 16 till about 24, I also joined the Royal Ulster Constabulary, the police service of Northern Ireland. And I served as a reservist um, in the conflict Mm -hmm. there. So when did your wife come into the picture? What's her name now? Her name is June. June And uh, she came into the picture about 1985. I went to Bible college after uh, some years, did sense that while I loved engineering, loved the police, in fact, at one stage was going to uh, go full time, the police and the Lord closed that door and I got a sense, hey, you're going down the wrong path, buddy. So then, after a while, I felt the call to the ministry, and uh, I was among the Baptist churches in Northern Ireland, and they had a school. And that was 1985, and during that time, my wife came over from Scotland. She's from uh, Glasgow in Scotland, and uh, she came over to go to a Presbyterian school, and through a set of circumstances, uh, I met her through her brother. And a little footnote to that is her pastor in Scotland grew up in the church I grew up in. My father was his youth leader. So <laughs> God was working it all together. <laughs> you, good didn't, when,
1: you didn't stand a chance, did you? Didn't stand a chance when
0: I met my Bonnie lass uh, through <laughs> through uh, just uh, a natural friendship with June's brother and, and again, You know, God's in all of this. A pastor needs a certain type of woman uh, to come alongside him. She's going to have to live in the fishbowl. She's going to have to open her home and her heart. And uh, God gave me a dear lady, June, uh, who's been the love of my life.
1: I want to talk more about June and the family that God has given
0: to both of you. But let's go back to uh, you call it RUC? Yeah, it's the initials of the Royal Ulster Constabulary. Policemen are called constables. And so, yep, about 1980, I joined the, the police. Um, in Northern Ireland, with that reserve couldn't have officer. been
1: a, a a real safe position. Wasn't,
0: it wasn't easy. Um, I'm not trying to uh, you know blow my trumpet, but at the same time, Interpol one of the international police services at that time said that the policing in northern ireland was the most uh, dangerous in the world we here's the thing about the conflict in northern ireland uh, we were more likely to be killed off duty than on duty so i couldn't hang my hat up or my coat in my locker at the police station and go home and forget about it in fact i had to be on my guard 24 hours a day because they knew you were an officer yeah well they they would try and find out who you were and then they you know the
1: terrorists there's such oh, hatred yeah right? well there's yeah.
0: such hatred the ira wanted the british out of northern Ireland, but a majority of people in Northern Ireland wanted the British presence, and therefore democracy had to be protected. And uh, terrorists, at the end of the day, are cards. Let's mm. be honest: the, 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 our own soldiers are facing shadows in Iraq. They never come out. Uh, they they never face you. They come behind you. They you know try and booby trap your car or and trap you. You know what that's like. Absolutely, I had to check my car every single day. I had to carry a weapon on me all the time, even when I was a lay preacher among the Baptist churches, uh, I literally faced death every day of my life. I was more likely to be killed off. Judy June couldn't hang my shirts on the clothesline. We had the altar where we went, because if you set a pattern, uh, that's when, you know, they, they take you as a sitting duck. Did that create any stress in your life? It did. I mean, or it could. I had. I learned to deal with it through faith in God. One of my little statements, and I think it's it's applicable beyond my personal situation. But, but um, security is not the absence of danger. It's the presence of God. And I had to learn nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Not life, not death. And so every time I put the uniform on and defended um, our country against the onslaught of the Irish Republican Army, I lived in the confidence that the worst thing they could do to me was the best thing that could happen to me. Hmm. Now, that wasn't June's thinking. She didn't want to lose me. (laughs) I had three beautiful daughters by this stage, and I certainly wanted to love them and provide for them. But you know what? If death came, it wouldn't separate me from the love of Christ, and you know what? While I wore Kevlar and bulletproof jackets, that was really mm-hmm. what shielded me. That's what gave me the confidence to say, "Hey, I got to do a tough thing. I got to face down the possibility of death, maybe even an ugly death." Mm-hmm. But you know what? God appoints uh, the day of our birth, and I believe God points to the day of our death. And uh, all these guys would be doing was dispatching me off to heaven. So, you're living this kind of life. You've got a wife and three daughters by this time? Three daughters, three beautiful daughters Angela, Laura, and Beth. Uh, presently, they're 21, 19, and uh, 17. Although, I do have to go out uh, in the, the open air once in a while and talk to somebody because I don't get much talking time at home with uh, a <laughs> was, wife and, and three daughters. I was going to say, uh, th-
1: three daughters, that, let's pray, huh? <laughs>
0: yeah. It's uh, oceans of emotions in our house. and uh, But they're great girls. Uh, the moment they profess faith in Christ, were, we're excited about what the Lord is doing in their life, and we're blessed. But you've got this young family in Ireland, and you decided to go to Bible college? We did. By that stage, we, we didn't have a family. June and I met 85. We each graduated uh, from school. Well, June graduated 87. I graduated 88. And the Lord provided us a little Baptist church outside the city of Belfast, and then we started having the girls. Um, those were good years. So I was cutting my teeth in a little country church I had a congregation of farmers. They had hands the size of baseball mitts. They were <laughs> crazy guys, but uh, we loved it. It was a quiet time in our life. Little congregation, we could handle. And they
1: had a tough cop for a pastor.
0: So. They did no messing around. Uh, but this stage, I had to give my gun back, so I only had the Bible to wield at them. But uh, much more powerful, anyway. much more powerful anyway. But those were good years. The girls grew, and uh, we set some patterns for life. And and uh, as I said, uh, June's a great helpmate, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a homemaker. That's been her commitment from day one, and uh, we realize that our family is our first church. Mm. The Puritans talked about the family being a little commonwealth, yeah. and so... It is your ministry. It is our ministry, and, and in fact, I remember eventually when I get to the Master's Seminary, um, we were challenged the first day there, that when your marriage ends, your ministry ends.
1: Talking with Philip DeCourcy today on First Person, and when we continue, we'll hear how this Irish pastor ended up in America. Next week, we'll talk with longtime pastor and author Warren Wearsby. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Now, the things that you've heard from me, you tell other people so they can tell other people. And in my writing and my preaching, all I've done is say, Here's what God has taught me. Take it, see what you can do with it. He tells it like it is and always has. His autobiography is titled, Be Myself. We'll talk with Warren Wiersbe when you join us next week on First Person. Wayne Shepherd, today's guest on First Person is Philip DeCorsi, a pastor who was content with his life in Ireland until God started stirring in his life.
0: Long story cut short, my wife's pastor in Scotland had put me uh, on to the writing ministry of Dr. John MacArthur. I would not heard of him until June's pastor told me about him. And as I started to read his uh, books and listen to his uh, tapes from Grace to You, I was just struck by one, uh, this man's fidelity, his commitment to the scriptures. So that then triggers something. I heard that John was coming to Britain in 1993 to speak at an event in England. And I thought, hey, wonder if John would come to Northern Ireland Probably not, but let's take a shot. Let's try. And uh, contacted the ministry, and lo and behold, I get an affirmative answer. (laughs) And the little footnote to that, Wayne, is because in the 1950s, John's father, Jack MacArthur, had come to Northern Ireland to Belfast as part of an evangelism team, and during that campaign, my own father had come to Christ. (laughs) And so John's, yeah, the providence of God, you know, John's father said to John, hey, you need to go to Northern Ireland, you'll enjoy it, the people are good, the churches are warm. And so John and Patricia come, and uh, as the famous radio broadcaster says, you know the rest (laughs) of the story. story. (laughs) You know, here
1: I am. You find yourself in California
0: at the Master's College? Master's Seminary. Seminary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1994. I come out to a Shepherds Conference um, just to visit. June didn't come with me. Uh, She could have, but... We come out, I was struck by the ministry at Grace Community, got some one-on-one time with John, who's become a dear friend and mentor, and I saw the seminary, and although I had been in the ministry for some time, had an education from the Irish Baptist College, you know, the motif of Master Semri is we, we train men as if our lives depend on it. Mm. And I just saw a commitment to the scriptures, to expositional preaching, to to, to biblical um, theology and church history, and I go, that's the education I wanted. And John said, well, hey, you're young. Come on, get over here. We'll get you ready for the <laughs> rest of your But I have a ministry. wife and children. Uh, yeah, I cannot come. You know that story in the Gospels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went back to June and said, hey, what do you think about? going to the master's seminary. And, and she, said, she said, not much. <laughs> uh, she said, did you get sunburned over there? Go and take a cold shower. Uh, uh, but as we prayed about it, God led it on our hearts. Although I had a effective a ministry, was well, you know, uh, liked among the churches in Northern Ireland, I was struck by I've got decades left of my life and I'm mm. going to handle the inerrant word of God. Mm. I, I, I can't know it you know, uh, so perfectly. I've got to keep learning and growing. And so I go, hey, I'm up for another training.
1: So let me guess, you said to God, okay, we'll go, and then we get to go back to Ireland, right?
0: Actually, was the plan. You're dead right. Uh, we came out to go to the seminary, to go back either to Northern Ireland or Scotland. But as we come out, uh, settled down, uh, God provided us uh, a church to pastor in Santa Clarita, Placerita Baptist Church right beside the Masters College and uh, early on, first year or two, Jim was like, now you remember we're going home. Uh, she enjoyed it here but she missed Northern Ireland, missed Scotland but after we went back to Britain Jim said, come on, let's go back to California and we realized God was doing something in her heart and the church began to grow. Even though I was full time at the seminary I was part time at the church and, and God knit our hearts together, and the elders of Placerita Baptist said, would you prayerfully consider when you're finished your seminary training staying? And we did. And uh, we weren't running from anything. Uh, there's still something in us misses the UK um, and the call of the pipes to Scotland mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But we believe God had that ministry for us. We ended up staying there almost nine years.
1: And you're committed to the expositional preaching of the Word.
0: I am. And let me just say something about, about that, Wayne. Uh, some people have this idea that expositional preaching is a style. You know, he's an expositional preacher, but I'm a different kind of Mm -hmm. preacher. I actually take issue with that. I don't think expositional preaching is a style. I believe it's a philosophy. At the heart of expositional preaching is you let the text speak. And all of the text. Yeah, and all of the text. So you don't go to stories or applications first. And you don't let that become the main balance of your sermon. You've got to get into the language of the Bible, the history of the Bible. You've got to connect that passage with the surrounding passage. What's that passage saying within the book? So the preacher is a servant to the Word of God. That's what expositional preaching, let the Bible speak. And then we can build bridges of application. We can draw in illustrations that make the point in our contemporary experience. But, I mean, for me as a preacher, I love it. I don't have Saturday night fever. I'm not worrying about what I'm going to preach the next day. I know I'm picking up where I left off. I think my congregation love it. It also models preaching and the study of God's Word. So by osmosis, as they listen to me every Sunday, they begin to learn how to deal with the text of Scripture. And, and we're always in danger of cherry picking. It also guards us against, um, you know, hobby horses mm-hmm. and escaping from the difficult passages. I have to get to the next passage. It may not be something I want to hear or my people want to hear or the contemporary culture wants to hear. But you know what? I'm not here to tell people what I think they want to hear. I'm not here to itch ears. Amen. I'm here to get out of the way, let God speak because He has spoken through what He has written.
1: And uh, now we're the beneficiaries of that through Know the Truth.
0: I hope so. That, uh, you know, that would be my desire. I, I know my weaknesses. Uh, can hardly listen to myself sometimes, <laughs> so I uh, appreciate our listeners indulging uh, our program. But yeah, I, I hope that the program you know meets a need that there is a famine of God's Word. Uh, there is a weakness in the pulpits of the United States. Uh, the church can survive without great preaching, but the church cannot survive without good preaching. And I hope that our listeners would conclude that Know the Truth is good preaching, and it's letting the Bible speak into their life, and the Holy Spirit then takes it and makes it applicational and relevant to the moment our I, listeners hear the broadcast.
1: I left out one important element of the timeline. Kindred Community Church is where God has placed you now. It
0: is. That's where I am right now. I love it. Uh, it's a great church. It's got a great spirit. It's got a good leadership. It was founded by a good pastor who set out to again preach the Word of God, Chuck Obrimski. Tragically, he died of cancer. Mm. And uh, after a search, the elders called uh, myself in June. Uh, they actually contacted uh, my friend, Dr. MacArthur. He put them in touch with the ministry. I've been uh, in the States uh, since 1994, was in Santa Clarita for eight years. So was in Ohio for five. Most important question: When you want to have
1: fun, what does Philip DeCorsi do for fun?
0: Wow, uh, you're not a rugby player or anything, are no, you? No, I did play rugby a little did bit, you? but uh, you know, I got bruised up too much. <laughs> uh, you know, I was a rugby player uh, for a little bit. Soccer is really more my passion. I've grown a love for for golf, <laughs> and uh, so uh, golf would be one of the things I like to do. And I like to relax with my wife. Uh, Money's my day off. Love to grab lunch with June. We just relax, catch up. And this is important to life, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, family is uh, the cornerstone of society. It's the building blocks of the churches. And uh, again, as I say, it's, it's my first priority. So uh, June and I uh, love to relax, walking, and, and our girls, uh, spending time with them. And I got a little bit of gulf on the side, mm. like reading, maybe watching a good movie, all sorts of stuff, and uh, love it.
1: Philip, we've talked about your story today. We've talked about God's story through you today. Everybody has a story when they let God work in their life. It's exciting to look back and see how he leads, isn't it?
0: I want to live the life God has planned for me. Uh, There's a great story uh, about the building of the uh, Golden Gate Bridge where one of the main engineers was laid aside while that thing was being constructed. And eventually when he gets to see the Golden Gate Bridge finished. He stands on the, on the shores of uh, San Francisco Bay, looks at it, and he says, Oh, it's just like the plan. And I want to look back on my life. Uh, God has written my days down in his book, according to Psalm 139. Uh, there's a time and a season to everything. God has got purposes for you and me, beginning by faith in Jesus Christ, and then he has ordained good works for us to do. And I've come to discover, uh, beyond my time as an engineer and as a police officer, the good work that God has for me is preaching. and I want to look back on my life like the Bible says about David, that he served his generation by the will of God. We, you know, we talk about animals and their natural habitat. We've all got a natural habitat, and, the, and men and women's natural habitat is God. We've left that because of sin. We come back into that natural habitat through faith in Jesus Christ, and then we live the life God has planned for us, and, and that's life to the full.
1: Well, our thanks to Philip DeCourcy, our guest today here on First Person. Isn't it interesting to hear people's stories of God's work through them? But if you stop and think about it, we all have a story of our own, and no one's is more important than another's. I hope you'll tell your story to someone today. That's our goal here on First Person, to listen to these life stories and give thanks to God for His faithful work in us. If you'd like to read more about Philip's life and ministry, we've placed a link to the Know the Truth radio program at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll also have a chance to listen to his sermons when you follow that link. First Person is a weekly conversation, but you can visit us online anytime or follow us via Facebook or Twitter. Those links are found on our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com. And if you have a suggestion for a guest to join us on First Person, please contact us online. Once again, firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, I hope you'll join us for a conversation with longtime pastor and author Warren Weersby. Dr. Weersby's in his 80s now, but still actively writing and mentoring from his home in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll talk about his life story and God's faithfulness when you join us next week on First Person. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. See you next time on First Person.